You know, nothing uh, quite compares to the feeling of holding your very own child in your arms for the very first time. Or as someone stopped me after first service said, wait, do you have grandkids? It gets even better, right? <laughs> but there's just something about that. Those of you who have kids or if you have grandkids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I've done it twice now. And both times it took about two milliseconds for both my daughters to capture their daddy's heart. That happens real quick, right? That's why today's passage is such a powerful one uh, in my mind, because we're going to be in Genesis 22 in a little bit. We're going to look at the story as we talk about going all in, continuing with our, continuing with our series. We're going to look at the story of Abraham and his willingness to sacrifice Isaac. And as a dad, this one is the one, in my estimation, apart from Christ giving up his life, this is the most dramatic example in all of Scripture of going all in. Uh, because Abraham, as we'll see here in a moment, was willing to sacrifice his own son that he loved so much. We're introduced to Abram, as he's called. Not Abraham in the beginning, but uh, God changed his name a little bit later on. But in Genesis 12, 1, it says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And we see from the very beginning that Abram was a man of faith because he left everything behind. He left his family behind. He left his land behind. And in a culture where family meant everything and so much of your roots was tied to your, your land and your place, he left all of that. And God said, go to the place I will show you. He didn't even bother to tell him where he was sending him. He just said, I want you to go. And Abram left, which is remarkable, uh, an expression of faith. But then I think it's important for us to understand, too, that he didn't get it right all the time. Abram failed really big at, at different times, and there were two separate instances where he told his wife to tell others that she was his sister because he was afraid that if they knew that she was his wife, they would kill him and take her. Now, that's a major failure as a husband, by my estimation. And I point that out just to say... He's not perfect, right? And we're not either. And so as we look at his example, there is one perfect person in Christ, and that's, he's the only one. But it is helpful sometimes to have other people that are just people like us that failed, but that at times had this incredible demonstration of being all in. And just this, this faith that, um, that we see in Abram. And so uh, to back up just a little bit and why this was such a, a big deal because they uh, had been waiting for a child. They'd been wanting to have a child. And it says that when he was 99 years old and when his wife was 90 years old, God changed their names. He gave him the name Abraham, which sounds like uh, the, the, the word for father of a multitude. And so from that point forward, every time Abraham heard his name, he would be reminded of God's promise, that God had promised to make him, which happened, by the way, 24 years earlier, where God said that you're going to become a father of many nations, but they'd been waiting all this time. And then he changed Sarai, was her name, changed it to Sarah. Uh, she becomes pregnant at the age of 90. He's 99, she's 90, and they did what probably any of us would do at that age if God said you're going to have a baby. They started laughing. You can look it up. That actually happened in the Bible, and I can relate to why they would do that at that age, but God says, I'm going to fulfill this promise, and so he changes their name. He, uh, he, he says, I'm about to fulfill a promise that I gave you. This was 24 years earlier. Because Abraham was 75 years old when God first appeared to him. Can you imagine 
the, the promise of God sitting dormant for 24 years. And they're waiting. And their, their desire is to have children. And it's not happening. And maybe some of you have been there. Maybe you are there right now. You know what that's like to have a desire to have children. And, and it's just, it just doesn't seem to, to be happening. And there's that waiting process. That's a hard place to be. Can you imagine being there for 24 years after having been given a promise from God that, that it's going to happen? And so that's where they are, and, and then God gives them this promise. She becomes pregnant. She gives birth to a son, and they name him Isaac. Now, I'm not sure if helicopter parents were a thing back then, but if they were, this too would be predisposed to being helicopter parents more than anybody I could ever imagine, right? 99 years old, 90 years old, you finally have your first child, and he's the, the promise of a fulfillment, a fulfillment of a promise from God who said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Don't you think they would go out of their way to protect little Isaac and to make sure that little Isaac was okay? And that's why this story is so remarkable. Because as we'll see here in Genesis 22, look at the faith that Abraham had when God told him what he needed to do. Let's just read it for ourselves here. Starting in verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The wood, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. <clears throat> then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by his horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide and to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And you talk about an example, right, of being all in. This, this is it. And it starts in the very beginning with this little phrase at the beginning of verse uh, 1, where it says, sometime later. Curious minds want to know, how much later, right? How old was Isaac when this happened? And the short answer to that question is, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how old he is. But we do get some hint, we get some ideas 
verse 6, for example, says that Abraham took this wood that he had cut for a burnt offering, which would have been a substantial amount of wood, and he placed it on Isaac to have Isaac carry the wood during their hike to where they were going. That would tell you he's not a young child at that point, if he's big enough and strong enough to carry the wood. He also was aware enough to ask the question. He looked around and realized, we have wood, we have fire, we don't have the lamb. Where's the lamb? And so he asks uh, his father that question. My guess would be that he's probably somewhere in the teenage years at least, maybe even a little bit older than that. Uh, but can you imagine you know, having a, a child like that? And we, we studied Noah last week, and we said that going all in means obeying God when it doesn't make sense. I mean, you think building a 500 by 85 by 50 foot boat away from water doesn't make sense. How about being told to sacrifice this son that you've been waiting for for so long? And he makes it very clear in verse 2, because he did have another son, by the way, because he, he, he was given, um, his wife Sarah gave her maidservant Hagar to him. They had a son, Ishmael. But this is not who he's talking about here, because he says, take your son, and by, by only son, meaning only son of, your, of the promise of Sarah, the only son whom you love, Isaac. So let's make this really clear who we're talking about here. But I also want you to notice that he says, the only son whom you love. This is... This is his beloved son. This is not a situation where God says to Abraham, Hey, you know that teenage son of yours? I want you to sacrifice him as an offering. And Abraham goes, Well, you know, the thought has crossed my mind a time or two. <laughs> now, those of you that are teenagers, don't say you can't. I mean, have teenagers. Don't say you can't relate to that. No, that's, that's not the point here. This is not, let's be done with this teenage child. This is, I know you love your son. Okay? Now, I just, I just want to tell you this. Those of you that have teenagers, some are going to be here. They all sit right up in the front row in the third service, and I love that. And I'm just going to give them an extra warning. Say, just on the safe side, you might want to sleep with one eye open tonight. You know, just in case. something. No, this is not permission, all right, if you have a teenager that, uh, that you've had your fill with. No, God is not telling you to sacrifice your teenager, but re really unique situation. I, I joke about that, but on a serious note, I mean, really think about that. This is the son of the promise. This is his beloved son, and God says, I want you to sacrifice him to me. And then it says in verse 3, something that's absolutely remarkable to me. It says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. There's no delay here. There's no arguing with God. And by the way, God, what God said was very succinct. There's not much direction. Just here it is, do it, and that's it. And then there's no you know, back and forth recorded or anything else. He just tells him what to do. And so the first thing that, that we can learn from, what does it look like to be all in? It, it, it means that we obey God immediately. We obey God immediately. There's, there's no delaying here. Uh, well, he couldn't sleep anyway, I'm sure, right? And so why not get an early start the next morning? So it says early the next morning, he's on his way, uh, getting things ready, packing things up. And that caused me to think about this, and I want to ask you a question. How do you respond when you are told to do something that you don't want to do? Okay, Let, let's, We'll talk about what that looks like in the spiritual realm. Let's take it outside the spiritual realm for a minute. Because I think there's some correlation here. You know, we have opportunity to practice obedience in our lives in areas that are not necessarily, you know, in that spiritual realm. Although everything technically really is part of the spiritual realm. But let's say in a work setting, if you're not 
the boss, if you don't own the company or have, chances are you have somebody who is over you in some respect. They give you a, a task or a job or ask you to do something, tell you to do something that you don't want to do. How do you respond? What about, um, what about a spouse? A spouse says, hey, I need you to do this for me. You don't want to do it. How do you respond? What about kids, teenagers, in school, at home? You have kids at home of your own. You, you ask them to do something. How do they respond? Kids, if you all are in here with us, how, how do you respond when, when you don't want to do something? A lot of us, I'll tell you how we respond. We put it off, right? Either we push back or we procrastinate or even if it's not arguing about doing it, it's, well, I might do it, but I'm not going to do it right now. I might get to that eventually. You know why we do that? Because we want to have some sense of control over the situation. Like if I'm going to be forced to do something against my will, then I'm just going to do it real slowly. Right? I'm going to take my time and just let it be known that I don't like this. Right? Abraham didn't do that. It says that early the next morning, he immediately began to obey God. Okay, so let's take it into what we might consider more of what we would think of spiritual types of things. I mean, there are certain things that God tells us are important. One of the things is God tells us it's important to be part of the body of Christ, that we need to surround ourselves with other believers. We're not to forsake meeting together. When it comes to finding a church home, anybody ever put that off? Getting plugged in, getting involved somewhere? Is that a decision that can be delayed for a period of time? I know that it, that, that it happens frequently because the conversations that I have. My mind went back to several years ago. There was a family that visited our church, and we were just kind of chatting. And one of the things they told us within a minute or two of being here, they said, this is the 14th church that we visited in this area. And I didn't say what I thought. What I thought was, good grief, make a decision. <laughs> I mean, seriously, 14 different churches, and you can't decide on some. I mean, you know, you with me? Sometimes we can drag things on, right? And, 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 and we just need to be able to say, okay, let's decide. Let's get plugged in. I mean, what about, we talk all the time about the importance of plugging into biblical community. And you probably acknowledge, yeah, that's important. We need other relationships. We need people in our lives. But have you done it? Have you taken that step to say, I'm going to find that and make it happen? I mean, this is a great time, by the way. Moving into the fall, today's Connect Sunday. Um, you'll hear more about that later. But new groups launching and others, I mean, do it. Don't just talk about it or think about it. Someday I should do that. But, but obey immediately. Do, do what you need to do. Um, I mean, it, it could be something as simple as, as just, you know, a conversation that needs to take place with somebody. You know, God tells you, you need to have a heart-to-heart -heart with your spouse or with your child. Or um, I want you to share the gospel with that coworker, that neighbor. And we just kind of put it off, right? And wait for God to open the door. Really, what we're doing is just procrastinating and not doing what God has told us to do. So immediate obedience. We, we need to take those steps quickly and, and, and do what we need to do. Which, by the way, speaking of plugging in a biblical community, let me just tell you something. I'm about to say this again in um, less than an hour because we have Gateway to Gateway right after the, uh, in the, during the 11 o'clock hour today. And one of the things we always say at the beginning of that time as people are coming and trying to figure out if this is the place for them to get plugged in is this. Just find biblical community somewhere. Get in a Bible teaching church somewhere. If it's not here, that's okay. I mean, we'd love for it to be, obviously. But if it's not, that's okay. Come, fi come find me. I will help you find a place where you can get plugged in. But just take that step and do it and not just push it off to, you know, someday I'm going to do that. 
for some, the decision that they, they push off is the decision to trust in Christ. And I wonder if there's somebody here that you've heard this all before. You know the facts of the gospel. You know who Jesus is, that he's God's son who came to earth and lived as a human being and as God and, and was able to live a sinless life. You know that he became our sacrifice for sin because God placed our sin upon him because he didn't have any sin of his own. So when Jesus died on the cross, he was dying in our place so that we could be forgiven. His blood became the blood that covers our sins. You know that he was placed in a tomb and he came back to life on the third day in victory over death. You know all that stuff. And you know that we need to put our trust in Christ in order to find new life and forgiveness. And, but you've never done it. See, it's one thing to know the information. It's another thing to actually act on it. And so if there's anybody that's been putting off that most important decision of all, of placing your faith in Christ, let me urge you to just do that right now. I mean, right where you are, right this very moment, you can say, Jesus, I give my heart to you. I'm surrendering to you as my Savior and my Lord. You are, are now the king of my life. I give it to you. Don't put it off. When we know there are things we need to do, we need to act on those things, not, not put them off. Um, let me give you one last little formula. I'll, I'll move on from this idea to something else. But this is something that, that, that I hope will stick with you. Delayed obedience equals immediate disobedience. Hold on to that. Delayed obedience equals immediate disobedience. If we're not obeying God in the moment, immediately, then we're disobeying. And we see with Abraham, even though it was a really, really hard thing to do, he was obeying immediately. So then... I guess we ask the question, okay, how, how, do, how do you get there? I mean, how do you have so much faith that you can do that? And I think verse 8 gives us a little bit of insight when Isaac asked him the question about the, the lamb. Where's the lamb for the offering? Listen to his response. Verse 8, God answered, I'm sorry, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. That's a good answer. Now, some have thought, you could read it this way, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Like, my son is going to be the lamb for the burnt offering. That, that may be, you know, a, a way to read that. Or was Abraham believing that something would happen like it did, where the ram was caught? Um, I think at this point, Abraham still believed he was going to sacrifice his son. And we know that because he bound him, put him on the altar, had the knife held above him. He was going to do it. This wasn't just a show that he was going through. He was really preparing to sacrifice his own son. But somehow he still trusted that God would provide for him. We get some insight into where his mind was in Hebrews 11. 17 and 18 gives the background and then verse 19 gives the reason why. But it says, by faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one, and, his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So here's how he did it. It says, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. So apparently Abraham's mindset was, look, even if I sacrifice him, God is God. God can bring him back to life. One way or the other, God's going to provide in this situation. And that's the second takeaway when it comes to being all in, is that we trust God to provide. Being all in means we're trusting God to provide. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when he doesn't, which God certainly doesn't with Abraham, and he 
usually doesn't with us, lay out the whole plan for us in advance, right? God just says, I want you to take this step. It might not even make sense to you right now, but I'm telling you, this is your next step that you need to take. I can't help but to wonder what Abraham was thinking because it says that it was a three-day journey to get to the place they were going. Which, by the way, if you notice in uh, verse 2, he tells them the region that they're going to. Go to the region of Moriah. But then he says, sacrifice him on a mountain, I will show you. So again, it's like it doesn't give him much specific information. Just go to this area, I'll show you. But what was going through his mind as he's three days on a journey with his son thinking... I'm about to kill my own son. I'm about to offer him as a sacrifice to God. And he had three days to think about it. I, I can't help but to think of that, that that must have just tortured poor Abraham's soul to think about that for three days. And I also am amazed that over that three-day period that he didn't talk himself out of it. You know, sometimes the longer we have to think about something and really what's happening is we begin to listen to the voice of the enemy. We begin to listen to that voice that says, did God really say that? Are you really sure that's what God wants you to do? Now, this one of all times, I would think, would be easy to come to that conclusion. Have you ever been there? Where you, you, you take an initial step of faith. Okay, God wants me to do this. You take that first step, and then you start hearing that voice. Are you, do you really understand what you're doing here? Do you know what the consequences are going to be? of what? You, and we start to listen to it, and we, we start to doubt and second guess and sometimes back away from actually doing what God has told us to do. Abraham didn't do that, even though he had three days to think about it. And that speaks so highly of his trust in God, but also the clarity with which God spoke to him. And he knew this is what God is telling me to do. But, you know, if we're being honest, I, our issue is not, is God telling me to sacrifice my child, in spite of what I said about teenagers earlier, right? That's not where we are. But we do have to trust God to provide in other areas of our lives. For some, that trusting God means, I don't know how things are going to work out financially, but I'm trusting that God is going to provide a way. A lot of people right now are struggling in, in a very difficult place financially. And so maybe that's your area. It's like, God, I don't know it. I don't see it. He's not laying the whole plan out for you. But what I do know is this, that God has no shortage of resources. And God is able to and will provide for us as we trust him a step of the way. Maybe not look exactly like we want it to or expect it to, but God will provide in that area. Or, or maybe for some, it's God providing in a relationship. Maybe there's a, uh, a friendship or a, maybe it's a marriage that you're like, you know, I'm struggling here with this. I don't see how God's going to enable us to really be able to come together as one, but I'm trusting that God will provide. And some, uh, it's trusting that God will provide a spouse. Maybe you're single and that's a desire of your heart, but you're waiting on God for that. It's like, okay, God, anytime now, right? Anytime you want to provide that person, that'd be great. But you wait, and you trust God to provide. So many different areas of our lives where we just have to, to wait for God to provide. He does that in a miraculous way here with Abraham, you know, and at the last minute, by the way. I mean, hand raised, knife in hand, prepared to, to drive it into the heart of his son when God speaks to him and he tells him, don't do it. Don't harm him. Don't lay a hand on him. This is a, a wonderful picture of God's provision where he provides a substitute for a sacrifice. 
But here's what's very interesting about this. In Abraham's case, he was about to sacrifice his only son, and God provided an animal as a substitute. But in God's case, he was about to sacrifice an animal, but he substituted his son. See, up to this point before the time of Christ, the animals were what were sacrificed. So he flipped them. Rather than taking the son out and putting an animal in, what God did was he took the animal out and he put his son in. And he became our sacrifice for sins. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel, of what God has done for us. And when we see God provide for Abraham and we see what God has provided for us through Jesus becoming our sacrifice for sins, that should give us great confidence that he will provide in every other way. Romans 8 32 says exactly that. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? In other words, if you've seen how God has provided through Christ, why in the world would we ever doubt that he's going to provide in every other area of our lives? So going all in means we trust that, that God is going to provide, even when that leads to some dramatic steps of faith like in Abraham's case, a willingness to sacrifice his own son, which again, as a father, blows my mind. But here's what Abraham did. And this is our, our last little takeaway today. What Abraham did was he offered to God what he valued the most. Being all in means that we offer to God what we value the most. His son that he had waited for for 24 years since God had given him that promise. This son that he loved so much, he valued more than anything else. And now God is saying to him, I want you to give up the one thing that you value more than anything else. What is it that you value most in life? And let me just cut to the chase and ask this question. Is there anything in your life that you're not willing to lay on the altar before God? Is there anything that you're still holding on to, saying, this is mine, I can't release it completely to God? I mean, it could be a, a material possession. It could be a, you know, a vacation home, a, a vehicle. It could be a 401K. It could be a relationship. It could be a child that you're not willing to let go of. And let God have his way with that child. It could be a relationship that you haven't truly placed in God's hands for God to be in control of that relationship. It could be any number of things. What is it in your life that you're not willing to let go of? And say, God, this is yours. I'm willing to sacrifice it to you. See, that's what Abraham did. Abraham took the one thing that was more important to him than anything else in his life. And he was about to sacrifice it to God. As I said earlier, this, um, this story hits home for me because I'm the father of two girls that I love more than life itself. I'd give up my life for them in a heartbeat, and you would too as a parent. You wouldn't even think about that. But to be on the other side, not giving your life for your child, but actually being the one to take the life of your child, man, that's some significant faith right there. But I, I want you to consider this, as horrifying as that whole 
thing is and thinking about being in Abraham's place and Isaac's, by the way. And I do believe Isaac was old enough that he could have fought off his aged father if he wanted to. So he's trusting his father through this whole process. But can you imagine what's going through Isaac's mind as he's bound up and laid on the altar and he sees his father holding a knife above him, about to slay him? I mean, the, the terror in his eyes, all those things that, that, that Abraham would have had to experience. But because he was willing to do what God said, when the voice of the angel of the Lord spoke, I'm quite sure that Isaac heard that voice just as clearly as his father did. Isaac saw that God provided when his father was willing to trust him. Isaac was able to turn around and see that ram that was caught with its horns in the thickets and see that God provided a substitute for him. And I can't help but to believe that Isaac's faith was also built because of what they went through together. It's not just Abraham. Abraham was able to pass on this legacy of faith to his son because he was willing to trust God to provide when it didn't make sense. I'm going to tell you right now, parents, your kids are watching. We know this, right? We know how closely they're watching us. And, and when we can pass on this legacy of we trust God no matter what. This isn't just something we talk about. This isn't something just, you know, when times are good or it's easy. But we trust God even when it's really, really hard. And when your kids see that, or your grandkids see that in you, I'm telling you, that makes an impact. And it makes an impact on the flip side when they hear you talk about it, but not live it out. And that impact is not a good one. Unfortunately, there are a lot of kids who grow up hearing their parents talk about God, but seeing them live a totally different way. And in many cases, it turns them completely away from the Lord. But in this case... Abraham followed through. He took the steps of faith. He was willing to do what needed to be done. He passed on this, this legacy of faith to his son in a really, really hard situation. You know, the fire is most uncomfortable when it burns the hottest. But when it burns the hottest, that's when it purifies us the most. Just like a precious metal getting purified by that fire. That's what God does when we go through these trials. And so if you find yourself in the fire right now, if you find yourself going through a really challenging season, rather than drawing back away from it, let me encourage you just to lean into it. It's going to get hot. It's going to make you sweat. It's going to be very uncomfortable. There may be times that you want to give up. But let me just say this. Guys, whatever it is that you need to do to lean into in order to be all in, do it. Just do it. Don't put it off. Don't delay but just say, yes, Lord. Why not say, Lord, I'm all in. Everything that I have, I'm going to give to you. I'm going to do that now. Let's pray together. Lord, it's hard for us to let go of things. It's hard for us to, to go all in and to trust you completely. But I pray, even right now, Lord, there are, I'm, there's no doubt in my mind, there are people that are going through some really, really difficult trials that you've allowed them to go through to test their faith. And so give them perseverance and strength to stay on course, I pray. And Lord, help us to surrender everything to you. It's all yours anyway. So, um, Lord, we give ourselves to you fully. I pray that we do. That that's more than just words, but that's our heart today. In Jesus' name, amen.